If you'd open your Bibles tonight to Micah 7, we come now to the great seventh chapter in this book of Micah that really does take us into the future, especially for the nation Israel. And I think a lot of tonight's text also has to do with future events for Israel, although there's certainly practical applications that Micah himself will make to the nation and we may make to ourselves. So verses 1 to 7 say this, Woe is me, for I am like the fruit pickers, like the grape gatherers. There is not a cluster of grapes to eat or a first ripe fig which I crave. The godly person has perished from the land. And there's no upright person among men. All of them lie in wait for bloodshed. Each of them hunts the other with a net. Concerning evil, both hands do it well. The prince asks also the judge for a bribe. And a great man speaks the desire of his soul. So they weave it together. The best of them is like a briar. The most upright like a thorn hedge. The day when you post your watchman, your punishment will come, then their confusion will occur. Do not trust in a neighbor. Do not have confidence in a friend. From her who lies in your bosom, guard your lips. For son treats father contemptuously. Daughter rises up against her mother. Daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own household. But as for me, I will watch expectantly for the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and for your people who have come out tonight to partake of it. We pray that you would bless this time. I pray that you would just continue to cause us to grow and learn to trust you in spite of a world that is quite frankly bizarre. I pray we would just learn lessons that you would have us learn as we go through these books of the Bible, like Micah. We'll thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want to have you turn, hold your finger here, and go over to 2 Timothy chapter 3 tonight. 2 Timothy chapter 3, because I want to read Paul's description of what things will be like in the last days of the church. And these would be the last days of the church age. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, I want to just draw your attention to the first five verses of the third chapter. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these. Now, what Paul describes is as this church age winds down, more and more of those kinds of people are going to surface. And after the rapture of the church, only those kinds of people are going to be left. Much of what is described here in Micah, is going to be part of that group that's left. It'll be part of that ugly, godless group that is really making the world a horrible place, more horrible than you and I can even imagine. And after the rapture of the church, when the believers are taken out of here to go home to be with the Lord, you're going to have the kind of thing developed that we're going to look at tonight in this seventh chapter of Micah. 
Now, we have a prayer meeting here every Wednesday night. I wish some of you could come in and hear the men pray. There are men who love the Lord. There are men who love the Word of God. They are burdened and broken and just devastated by the evil and sin they're seeing right now in the United States of America. Some of these men have served in the military. And what they are seeing taking place in this country is quite shocking to them. And when you listen to them pray, it's obvious they're deeply troubled. They cry out to the Lord for God to intervene in this country. That's exactly where Micah was when he saw what was happening to this nation. He was a prophet of God. He loved God. He loved God's word. He loved the nation. And he's watching the nation fall apart. And as a nation of God, it should have been flourishing. As a nation of God, this should have been the most blessed nation on the face of the earth. But it wasn't. It wasn't bearing any fruit. And as you come to this text of scripture tonight, what we see here is godly people who love the word of God will not find any positive support. They will not find any positive hope or comfort from people in this world. So they have to keep their focus and hope in the Lord. Micah is looking at a nation that's falling apart and many close to him were also falling apart. In fact, he describes his condition at the beginning of verse 1. He says, Woe, woe is me. He personally felt this. I mean, this was something that really affected him. Now, I want to, before we launch into this, discuss this for a minute. Israel was the covenant nation of God. It had been a theocratic nation. What I mean by that is Israel was a covenant nation of God in which God, in fact, ruled. He had different individuals that governed by the word of God, but God was in a covenant relationship with Israel. The United States had never been a theocratic nation. The United States has never been in a covenant relationship with God. The United States has been a democratic nation, and although there are some similarities we can certainly draw and will draw tonight from what was happening to Israel, what is happening in the United States, it's still not the same. In fact, if you want to make an application specifically, you would have to say, we need to apply this text to people that are in a covenant relationship with God. In other words, we would have to look at a text like this and say we need to apply it to elect individuals who are in a covenant relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ and to the church because the church is a group of people that should become a theocratic property. What I mean by that is the church should be a place where they take the word of God seriously and they are making application to the word of God and governing itself by the word of God. So this is a pretty sober text to analyze tonight. Now the four that follows the woe, woe is me for, for, gives reasons why Micah was in this woe condition, why he was in this low state. And much of what we've seen in these verses will be completely seen and experienced during the Great Tribulation. This is what it will be like. And certainly the Lord Jesus alluded to that. We'll point that out tonight. There are 14 reasons why Micah was just so devastated. 14 reasons why he was so burdened. Number one, because there was very little good fruit anywhere in the nation. He says in verse 1, I'm like the fruit pickers. Like the grape gatherers, there is not a cluster of grapes to eat or a first ripe fig which I crave. What Micah had been looking for, this is the land of Israel for goodness sakes. This is land that's supposed to be blessed of the Lord. It's supposed to be flourishing like a rose. And he's walking around saying, you know, I'm just looking for a cluster of grapes. I'm just looking for some fig tree. I'm just looking for any little sign that we have any fruit 
And as he walked around the nation, looking at a nation that should have been under the total blessings of God, he couldn't find any. And he goes, whoa, whoa, this is horrible. He was like a person who was just traveling through the land looking for some good fruit. He couldn't find any. There were no righteous people to be found. There was no good fruit being produced, literally, physically, and also spiritually. And Micah was very disappointed, depressed by what he saw. He knew that Israel should have been flourishing as the people of God. God promised he would bless her in that land, and he knew that. As a prophet of God, he knew the word of God. She should have been producing an abundance of physical and spiritual fruit, but she wasn't. Now, we do learn an important principle here that certainly transcends not only Micah's time, but right into our time, and that is God does expect to find righteous fruit in his covenant people. God does expect to look at his people who are in a relationship with him, and he expects that they will be bearing some kind of fruit. And the implication is, if there is some type of fruit being born, that judgment will be avoided. But Micah couldn't find any fruit. There were no cluster of grapes he could pick. There were no figs that he could pull off to eat. Things that were considered blessings of God in the land were missing. There was no abundance of the blessings of God. They were gone. And that's what Micah saw as he traveled around very little good fruit, and it was hard to find. Now, when the Lord Jesus Christ was here on earth, he actually found the exact same thing with a fig tree. He was going into Jerusalem, and he spotted a fig tree. He wanted a fig to eat. And you remember, when he got to the tree, there was none there, so he pronounced the judgment on the tree. But he pronounced the judgment on the tree to make a point. And the illustrative point that he was making by pronouncing the judgment on the tree is there's no fruit here. I'm going into Jerusalem. I'm the Messiah. I'm the God, Savior, Messiah, King. I'm going into Jerusalem, and there's absolutely no fruit here. And that's exactly the way it was in the days of Micah. That's the way it'll also be in the tribulation. Which brings us to the second reason, because the good godly people were gone. Verse 2 says, the godly person has perished from the land. Now, the word godly is an interesting word. It describes the kind of person that is a righteous piety, a person that has a personality that's righteous, but it's gracious and merciful and compassionate. The godly person who was interested in what was true and right was gone. The merciful people were gone. This kind of person was the kind of person that he loved the word of God. He loved to apply the word of God, apply it. And Micah said, I looked to find somebody like that. I looked around to find godly people, but they were gone. There was no one there. And when godly people are gone from a nation, what's left is moral, social, political, spiritual corruption. What you have left are a bunch of leaders that have no sense about them, what God would have them do. They have no direction. They, quite frankly, are not interested in pleasing the Lord. When he said the godly person has perished, in the Greek Septuagint, he uses a perfect tense verb, which means they'd been gone for a while. They'd been gone for quite some time, and they were still gone as Micah wandered around the land. Now, there is a prophetic application, I think, that we can make here to the rapture of the church, and that is when the church is raptured, godly people are going to be gone. That program of God is going to swing back to Israel. It's going to be a woe time. It'll be a woe time, not just for a prophet like Micah, but for everybody in the world. And the godly people, they'll be gone. 
Which brings us to the third reason why he was in a state of woe, and that is because there are no upright men, verse 2, and there are no upright person among men. I want to just tell you what the Hebrew word upright is, yeshare in Hebrew, it's yeshare. And the reason why I want to tell you this is I'm just going to tell you what it means and you just simmer on what it says. Because as I wandered around the land, there were no straight men. Straight men. You think that doesn't have application to what you're seeing in our world? No straight men. In other words, what Micah said is I couldn't find any straight man. A normal straight man that was interested in applying the word of God. The vast majority of people were not upright. They were not upright ethically. They were not upright morally or spiritually. And we certainly learn from this that God expects his people to live in upright ways that are moral and good. And there weren't straight men. I don't think that has necessarily the connotations we particularly have today. But the truth is there because there are churches that are promoting a philosophy that is against straight men. And what Micah was saying is I could not find people that were serious about the word of God. I could not find people that were interested in lining up their lives straight with the scriptures. So he said, I'm experiencing a real woe downtime. His fourth reason for his woe status is because all people were cutthroat hunters and killers. At the end of verse 2, he said, all of them lie in wait for bloodshed. Each of them hunts the other with a net. You know, there are people, they're skilled at evil and darkness. I mean, they're skilled at crime. We are seeing a new level of that with this cyber criminal world. They're out to destroy you. They're out to take everything they can from you. That's their goal. The description here that Micah gives, now remember, he's giving this description of a covenant nation. And the description that he's giving here is the people were so self-centered, they were so focused on themselves, they didn't care if they were a group of cutthroat killers. They hunted people with a net trying to ensnare them so they could destroy them. And as you're going to see, this was coming from high political leaders. We're talking about people at the top, high government officials. They were behind this. And the majority of people were tracking down godly, righteous people and killing them. That's exactly what's going to happen in the Great Tribulation. Shortly after the rapture of the church, there will be a number of people that will believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and they're going to be martyred. We saw that in Revelation chapter 6. And there's going to be an onslaught where they're going to try to track them down and kill them. There will be killing and destruction, and wicked people will try to trap them and ensnare them. Anybody that's godly, anybody that's upright. You know, someone once asked the question, why do some people seem to attain huge, huge sums of wealth? Because they're ruthless. A lot of those people are ruthless. And a lot of those people behind the scenes are doing things that are not ethical, and they're not moral, and they're making shady deals, and they're taking things from others. They don't care who they hurt as long as it gets them more. That's what Micah saw. And Micah said, I can't believe it. He said, all of them are lying away for bloodshed. They don't care. They're hunting each other, trying to trap them with a net. The fifth reason why he was in a woe status is because people were good at doing evil with both hands. Look at verse 3. Concerning evil... Both hands do it well. Now watch this. The prince asks also the judge. We're talking here about high government officials, the prince and the judge. We're talking here about high government officials that were skilled with both of their hands at doing evil. That's what Micah describes here. 
And what made it even worse is the evil they were doing, they were calling good. What a statement to make about the leaders of the land, the political and religious leaders of the day. They're skilled at doing evil with both of their hands. They were not skilled at handling the scriptures. They were not skilled at understanding the scriptures. They certainly were not skilled or interested in applying the scriptures, but they were skilled in evil. And these were God's people that had been at one time, I mean, they're as covenant people. They've reached this expert level of being evil. This is a sad description. Because when it says they use both of their hands and they do it well, it's basically saying that's all they know how to do. They don't even know how to live a life of integrity. They don't know how to live a life of honesty. They're not interested in pursuing what's right according to the word of God. This shows you how corrupt they had become. Both hands were corrupt. Dr. S. Lewis Johnson once said, if you want to come up with an illustration of evil at any time, you don't have to do any research. All you have to do is look at the news. Because wickedness and evil are always there any day. And you can find a lot of illustrations that will prove the point. That people in high positions of power know how to be good at doing evil. Which brings us to the sixth reason Michael was distraught. It's because those people that were in power, they were able to bribe and buy their way out of justice. I mean, verse 3 says, the prince asked also the judge for a bribe. People in power were corrupt. They weren't interested in justice. They weren't interested in truth. They weren't interested in facts. These were powerful people running the nation. Powerful people that were running the nation Israel, and they could be bought and bribed. Judges, judges. They take an oath that they're not going to do anything that would be illegal, but they're going to uphold the law. They weren't interested in that. They weren't interested in upholding the law. They weren't interested in justice. They weren't interested in truth. These powerful people were able to buy their way out of trouble and nobody was doing anything about it. Does that sound familiar to our day? We're living at a time when you can, if you have enough money and you know the right people, you can buy your way out of anything. But I have a warning for those in high positions of power. And warning for those who are legal magistrates who are succumbing to this kind of thing. You have a payday coming. God will make it very clear, I will track you down and I will let my people see me track you down. That's what Micah will warn here in just a second. But that's what Micah saw. He's traveling around the nation of God. He's seeing these people who are in positions of power and they're just making deals to get out of what's just and right. Which brings us to the seventh reason why he was in a woe state. Because people who are powerful do whatever they desire and weave evil. Verse 3 says, And a great man speaks the desire of his soul, so they weave it together. So what you have here is you have princes, and you have judges, and you have the great men, the powerful men of the world, and they're all working in cahoots, and they're forming this network, and they come up with these plans to carry out their evil. So you have a political world, you have a judicial world, you have a religious world. They're all joining together to figure out ways to get more wealth and more power. And Micah said, I looked at that and I said, whoa, whoa, this should not be with the people of God. The eighth reason why he was in a woe state is because the best in the world were like a briar. That's what he says in verse 4, the best, look at that, the best of them 
is like a briar, the best. The best people were out to hurt people and stick people. The best. This wasn't even the worst. This was the best that Micah saw. A briar was a long, thin thorn that can catch your clothing. It can trap you. It can ensnare you. It can hurt you. It can puncture you. Micah said the most prestigious people, the best, the political leaders, the religious leaders, the big wealthy people of the land, that's all they were interested in. They didn't care if they hurt people. They didn't care if they punctured people. They were all like a briar. That's the best of them. Ninthly, because the most upright person is like a thorn hedge. And verse 4 says, the most upright like a thorn hedge. He's using these metaphors to make a point, and that is these people were banding together and they were like a tree, a brush, a bush, or a shrub that was trying to entrap people. They were out to get what the people had. They didn't care if they injured them like a thorn hedge. These leaders should have been protecting the people. They should have been defending justice. They should have been standing for what was right. They weren't interested in helping people. Micah says the best of these people in this nation were doing everything they could to hurt the people and ensnare the people. And about this point, this thing started to get to him. So he kind of interjects in verse 4, at the end of verse 4, but I tell you this, your punishment will come, then their confusion will occur. Micah says, look, you need to know this though. You guys are fooling around, hurting the people of God. You're trapping them, you're stealing from them, you're hurting them, you're misusing justice, you're lying to them, you're not promoting what's right. You need to know there is a day coming when God is going to track you down. He will track you down. You think you're so shrewd and successful and smart, he's going to bring you to confusion. He's going to bring you to destruction. And we do learn something here about the judgment of God. That is, God's chastening judgment typically hits when people feel confident. When that group feels secure and successful, when that group is in an upbeat mode or upbeat spirit, they're living lives contrary to the word of God. They feel good about themselves. They have a confidence to them. And God said, that's the moment I'm going to come get you. I'll come track you down. The tenth reason why Micah was at a low level is because he couldn't trust his neighbor. He says in verse 5, do not trust in a neighbor. You know, Waddler Kaiser said that he knew of a family in California. They lived in a real nice area in California. It was not a sleaze area. This family lived in a very nice neighborhood, and they went on vacation for one week. And he said when they got home, they discovered that some of those neighbors who knew they were gone had gone in and taken things. We live in a day and age, ladies and gentlemen, and I hope you have good neighbors, and you probably think you know your neighbors, but we put up security cameras. Why do we do that? You wouldn't have done that 50 years ago. You'd never think 50 years ago, I've got to have security cameras on my property. I've got to have security cameras watching what's going on. Why? We're living in a corrupt world. We're living in a corrupt world. You can't trust your neighbors. Things were so corrupt that that's the way it was in Micah's day. Neighbors who are supposed to be your friends... Neighbors who are supposed to be concerned about you and your welfare, Micah said, you can't trust them. You can't trust them. And during the tribulation, they won't be able to trust them. They'll turn against each other. 
and they'll turn him into the Antichrist, who will be tracking him down. He will be trying to exterminate all of the people that are connected to God. So you can't trust your neighbor. Secondly, you can't trust your friend. Verse 5 says, do not have confidence in a friend. Now, a good friend is very valuable and very rare. And a good friend will point you in the right ways of God. That's a good friend. These friends weren't like that. These friends were backslapping people that were telling them everything is good, everything is fine, you're okay in your relationship with God. They were promoting their own agenda, and they were shading truth to promote their own agenda. Be careful who you let become your close friend. Be careful. Because as we near the end, there'll be people like this that will try to ruin God's people. And Micah said, you can't trust your friend. That's how sick this society had become. This is the nation of God. You can't trust your friends. The twelfth reason is you can't trust your mate. And that's what he says there in verse 5, from her who lies in your bosom. Things had become so corrupt that you couldn't even trust your mate. You didn't even know which side they're on. Again, this is tribulation ramifications. You're certainly going to see that when we go into the text next Sunday night, Lord willing. This does have serious tribulation ramifications, but things are going to be bad. You won't know whether your mate's going to turn you in and report you as being one who would be right with God. And he says, you can't trust your mate. Things had become so corrupt, they couldn't put confidence in the person to whom they were married. It kind of is like that story in the book of Judges where Samson, he trusted Delilah and she was an evil snake. You know, we're careful what we watch, but I have to admit, I do like that ID channel when they track these killers down. And what's interesting to me is if a mate dies, either husband or wife, it's unbelievable, but the police will tell you the first person we look at, the first person we look at if a mate dies is the mate. And I'm thinking to myself, man, oh man, 50 years ago, 60 years ago, that have been the last place you look. But they've learned that as this society becomes corrupt and there's greed and there are other things that get involved in this, they've learned that there are times when you can't even trust the person to whom you are married. And Micah said, I looked around the society of Israel and that's what I saw. You couldn't even trust your mate. And then he says, you can't trust your children. In verse 6, for son treats father contemptuously. Daughter rises up against her mother daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. You have a list here of family members that are turning on other family members. Why? Because one of the family members is right with the Lord and the rest of them aren't. So you have a son who treats his father with contempt. You have a daughter who treats her mother in a dishonorable way. You have a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Why? Because one's right with God, the other isn't. In a home that's supposed to be a place of refuge, that's what you hope. I mean, you hope you can go to your home and it's a place of refuge. It becomes a war zone. It becomes a battlefield. You don't know who to trust. Which brings us to the 14th reason, because you can't trust your family. He says in verse 6, a man's enemies are the men of his own household. You know, my dad gave me some wrenches before he died. I treasured those wrenches. I had them in my barn. We were traveling, and I think it was a family member. I can't prove it. That's my problem, because I'd turn them into the police myself. But I can't prove it. They broke in and stole them. 
I went to the guy, I actually confronted him, because I know he did it. He wouldn't admit it, but I did confront him. Oh, no, 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 I didn't, I didn't do it. These are people that are related to me. These are people related to me. And I think, ladies and gentlemen, as we near the end, you're going to see more and more families crumble. Family relationships are going to deteriorate. Why? Because people right with God are going to find themselves at odds with those that aren't right with God. And Jesus taught this very same principle. He said a commitment to him can actually and will actually at times divide families. You get someone who loves the Lord Jesus Christ committed to the scriptures, they can split families. In fact, Jesus predicted that just before he would return to take over the world, and I think that's what Micah's describing here in the ultimate form, just before the Lord comes to take over the world, and we're going to see him come in the next couple of studies in Micah, family members are going to betray other family members, and they'll be responsible for their own death. So Micah basically says, you better, verse 5, guard your lips. Guard your lips. Because you don't want people that aren't with you hearing what you have to say because they can be a bunch of evil spies. People in your own family. People in your own home. And one of the real problems we tend to have is that We look to a core group for our security, and quite honestly, we think that our home is our place of refuge. You can trust your wife, you can trust your husband, you can trust your children. Sometimes you can't. But there is one you can trust. You can always trust. It's God. That's where Micah's going with this. Micah said, I'm living in a world that is just falling apart here. Who can I trust in this world? I don't even know who to believe anymore. Who can we trust in such a world? What should I do? Does God want us to picket and protest government? Should we try to do that? Should we try to start some insurrectionist movement? Micah says, no. I'll give you three verbs that describe what you need to do. Watch, wait, and pray. And these are not passive verbs. In verse 7, Micah says, look, you can't find anything in this world that's going to bring you much comfort. You're not going to find anything in this world that will bring you much hope. You look around this world, you're going to see corruption. You're going to see evil. You're going to see sin. You'll see problems in families. They won't like you because you're standing for truth and the word of God. So where can you look where you can be found, where you can find comfort and hope? You look to the Lord. Micah said, I can't find anything positive looking at this covenant nation. But I sure can when I look to the Lord. So I'll watch. I'll watch expectantly for him to intervene. I'll wait. I'll stay put in my relationship with the Lord as I wait for him to get us out of this. And I know that my God will hear me. I'll pray. Now, just exactly what Micah was watching for and what he was looking for, we learn from Micah 5 too. I'm looking for one from Bethlehem. I'm looking for one who will come from Bethlehem to take this thing over. I'm watching for him to come, to come and reverse all of this. And that's what we need to do, ladies and gentlemen. He was watching and waiting for Jesus Christ to come, and as he's doing that, he's praying and talking to God about it. 
That's the same thing we need to do. It's a very simple yet critical formula for coping with this world situation. We expectantly watch, we patiently wait, we fervently pray. I want you to go back to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. And here's what Paul would write. It wouldn't be long before he would write the text we began the service with tonight that would describe what things will be like toward the end, how ugly things are going to get. He said in chapter 2, verse 1, First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men for kings and for all who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. What can we do in this crazed world that is just bizarre and evil? Watch, wait, and pray. And as we wait for Christ to rapture us, stay focused on understanding these precious books of the Bible Pursue godliness, upright people, righteous people. That's what we want to be. And look for that one from Bethlehem who's going to come in the clouds and take us up to be with him. Let's pray. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, why don't you settle it tonight? Just acknowledge the truth about yourself. You're a sinner. We all are. And invite the Lord Jesus Christ to come into your life to be your personal Savior. Our Father, we understand the frustration of Micah. We get it. We see the same kind of world that we're living in that he was living in. We see the same kind of symptoms, Lord. But we need to learn that lesson that he learned. Watch, wait, pray. I pray that would be the focus we would have, Lord, as we do wait for you to return. And we pray you would come get us soon. In Jesus' name, amen.